Hello and welcome to another edition of 20 Minutes In, the film podcast in which we look at films, both great and terrible, focusing on the first 20 minutes to understand how the director sets up various themes, etc, etc. You should know the drill by now. I am joined as ever by Tom Oliver. Hello. Hello, Tom. Uh, I'm Robert Beams. And joining us for this edition is our first guest, uh, guest co-host, uh, a good friend of uh, myself and Tom's, Mr. Craig Ennis. Hello, Craig. Hello. First guest. I'm honoured. Absolutely yes. honoured. Well, you're one of you're one of this podcast's um, most loyal fans and supporters as well. So it's, uh, <laughs> you're one of the few people who would be honoured to be <laughs> to be on. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, yeah. Well, you know, it's nice. I haven't podcasted in a long, long time, so this is—it's quite a. Um, I don't know. It, it feels nice to be doing this again. This yeah. Sort of thing it's, again. Well, I'm looking forward it's to fun, having you. There it? was a there was a podcast that I used to do many years ago um, at the Duke of York's uh, Cinema in Brighton, uh, and you were you were probably our most regular guest on on that show. So you're a you're a reliable a reliable force in the podcast guest arena. Yeah, that was a good podcast. The old uh, Duke's podcast. Learned a lot. Learned a lot from that podcast. Shoes in the other foot, Tom, because you're one of the few fans of that podcast. <laughs> yeah, I am. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, let's, now that that circle jerks out the way, um, <laughs> this this uh, this time we are talking about the 2012 movie uh, The Avengers, uh, not to be confused with the Uma Thurman, Ray Fiennes uh, 90s uh, oh, yeah. bad movie. Where Sean Connery tries to control the weather. Yeah. Yes, yes. What a bastard. <laughs> it was kind of ahead of its time because doesn't that, doesn't that movie end with... Um, you know, a big portal in the sky that they've got to close, presumably, which is how all. Oh hell yeah! I think it does actually. Yeah, it's a trailblazer. God, that's really weird. Um, which, which you know, but is does, how this movie ends. Yeah. It, so, is that what is the big first big sky uh, laser that you can remember? Because I can sort of think about uh, Independence Day, but that was a big sky laser coming down. It wasn't going yeah, up. Yeah, it wasn't it? a vortex yeah. in the sky. Yeah, uh, oh, I can't. I can't actually. Uh, I can't actually think of what the the earliest would be. If, the, if you're listening and you you have a good pinpoint for sort of ground zero on sky vortexes, then, uh, then I have let's a know. feeling like some something in the realm of eighties high fantasy, something like Krull or Highlander, Ooh, Highlander. is going to have some kind okay. of uh, vortex in the sky, maybe. But I could be reaching. I yeah, saw I mean, maybe um, even earlier. I saw Raiders. Uh, I saw the kid who would be king the other day at the cinema, and um, have you guys seen that? The Joe Cornish film. I haven't no. seen it. It's no, it's, it's pretty good, but it does it does have its final set piece also involving a portal that needs to be opened, closed, something or other. There's always mm. it seems that portals and that there's a kind of a false ending. It's not really spoiling anything for the film. So there's a sort of false ending, sort of twenty minute twenty minutes maybe before the end or half an hour before the end, and you're thinking, oh, is that is that the end of the movie? And it, it kind of carries on away, and um, it felt really unsatisfying. And I think it's because I'm programmed now not you know that false ending did because i think i'm programmed now to, to know that a film shouldn't really end until there's a big vortex that needs to be opened or closed <laughs> <laughs> so it was kind of a relief for me when when the film did actually involve that yeah um, the bar has been set the bar has been set but this film I mean, um so, yeah sorry tom i was just gonna say uh, uh yeah the bar has been set potentially uh, I would think, in large part, to this film, maybe um, for it's sort the gold of action standard, adventure isn't it, of portals. And yeah, sky. yeah. It's um, but this film, in any case, the Avengers 2012 in the UK, it was called Avengers Assemble. I think because yeah. of the issues. Was it Marvel's that? Avengers Assemble? Was, didn't, yeah, they, didn't they make it even? Yes, it make... was. You're right. Yeah. 
Sorry, yeah, I've got to realize I'm not, I'm not to, chirping to in much it, here. I, to... <laughs> I'm just, I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm listening to the podcast. <laughs> well, so how, about, how about, happily, how about Craig? How happily, about... like, I, I don't want, you know what I mean? I'm like, oh, this is like, uh, like a, like a, the live show. I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying the live show. <laughs> well, Craig, Sorry. why don't, why don't you uh, take it away and, and maybe start with the, because what we try to do here, if you're, first time listening to the podcast we'll try and we don't always stick to it we ramble a lot we kind of exceed the bounds of the podcast a lot but what we try and do is set up sort of what happens in the first 20 minutes and then unpack it unpack it in a bit more detail so craig maybe you can go through and sort of give a an overview on what exactly the first 20 minutes of this movie is well i misremember the first 20 minutes of this to begin with because i thought we started straight away at the big desert facility that's what I remembered, but there's this little tiny, is it a couple of minutes maybe, where you're on Thanos's floating rock, although we don't know it as that yet. So we sort of see a few little glimpses of um, like mystical cosmic weapons, and there's a thr- uh, there's um, people picking things up and talking in riddles and whispers, and then we're at this desert facility with. Shield and the rest of the military types, and Colson is it? Colson's the first person we meet, and then Nick Fury turns up in a helicopter, and everyone starts spouting jargon at each other in a very kind of rushed, <laughs> very rushed, important kind of way. Mm. Um, and and then we've got Eric Selvig is fiddling about with. Is it the Tesseract? Yeah, yeah. 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 Which it doesn't doesn't really matter for the purposes of this movie, but it's the MacGuffin from yeah. uh, Captain America: The Winter Soldier, the the first Avenger. Yeah, and he's messing about with that, and it's doing this, but it's not doing that, and everything's very. And it, it kind of made me think. Eric Selvig seems to he seems to be whatever the movie needs him to be. <laughs> he's one thing in Thor, and he's one thing in this, and he's another thing in Thor: The Dark World, and. and He's just movie got... scientist, right? He can just yeah, be yeah, yeah. Or whatever's called upon. And then Hawkeye's there, and he's all worried about something. And um, <laughs> and then the, then the MacGuffin starts glowing, and energy just spills out of it. And Loki turns up, and um, it's really quick. I mean, I think Hawkeye only has about four lines, doesn't he? Before he's turned, he's brainwashed. Yeah, yeah, they're they're mm. quite bad lines as well because he <laughs> yeah. basically he's got a line about like Nick Fury says I thought I thought you uh, I thought you were supposed to be keeping an eye on Doctor Selvig or whatever and yeah. he says so like I see better from a distance and then he says about <laughs> how doors can open from both sides so in terms of quick character establishment we've learned about this character Hawkeye who we only got a very brief glimpse of in in the first Thor film at this point um, uh, what we've learned about Hawkeye is that he's got good eyesight. And he knows how doors work. <laughs> I, uh, yeah, I like the fact that he's referred to as the Hawk. The as Hawk, well. yeah. Which is a worse see... superhero name. Yeah, it's, I, love, I love it in these superhero films when everyone dances around their um, dances around their superhero names. Like they they'll call them by their, their their given names, their real names. But like you get this quite a lot in DC films where people are embarrassed. Yeah, embarrassed to call somebody. Batman or well that's the thing is yeah. as well it's, it's like um, I don't know if you've watched Arrow but there was a there was a scene in the first season of Arrow which is a Green Arrow TV series where 
um, they're sitting around the dinner table, Oliver Queen, the Green Arrow and, and his family, and somebody makes a reference about how, oh, they should call him the Green Arrow. And then he's like, oh, that's stupid. You know, they always have to have these moments. Oh, yeah. But then fast forward to now, and my understanding is that now in the show, he is the Green Arrow. So I think during the span of that show, we've gone right from the kind of peak Dark Knight era interest in superhero films through the success of the MCU yeah. and now into the area where DC are making things like Aquaman, which was fun. Um, that Shazam movie, by all accounts, is supposed to be quite fun. It's this kind of weird... Um, it's like a, it's like the the series Arrow. You can kind of cut through a stack of the DVD box sets and see the kind of uh, the rock formation and the the changing of time uh, of the superhero <laughs> genre. Where were we? Yeah, I always um, really it really bothers me in superhero films, and I feel like this is an early two thousand superhero film trait where they have a long kind of scene where the kind of comic relief character is joking about names that the hero could be called and then it's like been adopted. (laughs) And I actually think Marvel have done the Lord's work in kind of, I feel like anytime a uh, character is referred to by their like superhero name, it's done with that kind of acknowledgement that it's a little bit tongue in cheek. Like I feel like anytime they're referring to Iron Man specifically, instead of Tony Stark, it's done almost kind of like to, poke fun at the idea that a guy would call himself Iron Man. But it's, it's um, funny, isn't it, though? Because the thing is, is that in reality, no one's really got any problem calling Dwayne Johnson The Rock. We always call him The Rock. Everyone <laughs> yeah. called him The Rock. Everyone takes it as completely normal that he's always, Dwayne The Rock Johnson, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and so if it was real life you would just be calling that dude Iron Man at this point. You know what I mean? And I, I know they kind of yeah. do do that in the movies, but my point is, is that, you know, if Batman was real, no one would think Batman was stupid because he's real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you'd get, you'd, yeah, kind of, you'd get irritated anytime anybody called him the Dark Knight, wouldn't you? Like, just call him Batman. Just call him Batman. <laughs> like, yeah. But what yeah. did you make of this opening? Like, well, cause well I, we're, not, I, we're, not I, finished, we're not finished synopsis-wise. You, you got to Loki turning up, which I think takes us sort of five minutes in. You've got yeah. 15 minutes more, Craig. All right. So Loki turns up. He turns. He turns Eric. He brainwashes Eric and Hawkeye, and then there is some sort of standard action fare as people start shooting and running. Yeah, Loki dispatches a couple of people here, doesn't he? He kills he a bunch. Scepter. Yeah, yeah. Gets scepter out and phases them. Yeah, they Gone. they did a 180 on him. Yeah, late in the later <laughs> films, didn't they? I, I I remember thinking, oh wow, they they. We're still in the age of disposable henchmen here. There's like and disposable. <laughs> uh, was it? Is it red shirts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's, you know, there's some red shirts gone. Um, and then I think ten minutes in, and they go on. There's um, some stuff in jeeps, and the whole of Shield <laughs> seems to get wiped out. Um, <laughs> and I've put a note in my notes. It just says Loki in a truck. <laughs> 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 yeah i think it's after that point it's it's 11 minutes in and we get the title card which is yeah. when um mm. uh i think it i think nick fury says something like uh uh that they need to that they're at war or something he says right yeah, now Coulson, we're at war yeah. and then colson's like what do we do and then it's like bah, the avengers which is so great like there's such a, a such a guilty pleasure when that kind of thing happens in film and it's like what are we gonna do yeah title card it's great it was specifically though. Like, it was the image of of Tom Hiddleston dressed as Loki in the back of an open top jeep, <laughs> and it yeah. reminded holding onto the bar. And it reminded me of that bit in the Jackass movie where Steve-O's having the tattoo. 
<laughs> Interesting. I, I don't know why, but it was just it struck me as a funny image. Um, like this is the beginning, and the, and Loki, this uh, demigod from Asgard, and the first thing he does get in is a jeep. escape. Well, the one in that scene that struck me is he. They kind of um, like Hawkeye. So when they're in the basement with the Tesseract, Hawkeye shoots out Nick Fury, who's obviously wearing like a bulletproof vest. And yes, the fake. But um, then so Hawkeye got, uh, leaves with Selvig, and then Loki's there as well. And then they pass Maria Hill, who's kind of like stock uh, Shield agent, um, sort of good exposition type of character. Um, but then he sort of like uh, he gets in the back of a jeep like Loki's in the jeep before Maria Hill realises something's up and he's sort of just like he's wearing his full Asgard outfit with this big old green cape and he looks like ridiculous with this scepter that's just a big spear and he sort of just cowers in the back of this Humvee (laughs) like trying to be he's trying to be like unnoticed like because he's trying to to escape subtly but he's dressed like that and the whole thing is just bizarre it's like he's it's like he's locked onto it in a video game like he's hugged onto the low wall at the back of the jeep (laughs) he's in stealth mode he's in stealth mode (laughs) well this is I mean this is the bit like because I remember I do remember at the time in the cinema. I was so up for watching this. I'd, I'd spent, I'd, I'd like spent the day writing this blog post about um, the wilderness years before the before Iron Man and mm. um, uh, the Captain America film where the Red Skull was Italian and Dolph, <laughs> Dolph Lundgren as the Punisher. And I was like, oh, this is the golden age of Marvel. And I was so up for this film. And I do remember the, these first ten minutes feeling really, really flat. Interesting, um, I, but and it still seemed to go that way because it just seemed. I don't know. Maybe this film had a lot to do. I think it does. It does, and unfortunately for us and for the purpose of this podcast, it does most of it after this twenty. Minutes. <laughs> yeah. But the, so basically, the title card comes up. Then we get Black Widow being sexy in a in a Russian yes. sort of interrogation, which she turns on its head when Coulson phones her up and says, "We need you." So she beats up a load of dudes, and then she, he's like, "Oh, you've got to go see the big guy." And he's like, "Oh yeah, but don't worry, Stark loves me." No, I mean the other big guy. And she looks really terrified. They do a really good job in these first scenes of uh, Scarlett Johansson does a particularly good job of selling the idea that the Hulk is terrifying and then she goes it cuts to Calcutta and uh, we get Bruce Banner he's healing people and then I think it's Calcutta I don't know if it's it cuts to an Indian town he goes and he he gets uh, summoned by some girl gets a little bit white savoury doesn't it It, yeah a little bit (laughs) and then she takes him to some hut but it's a trap and she jumps out the back window and Black Widow's there to talk him into joining with the the group Um, and then and that's another scene where she manages to uh, he makes her jump and she pulls a gun and there's a really good close up where she looks terrible yeah um and then i think after that scene is when we get um back to fury and And the the hologram with all the hologram heads and it's 20 minutes hits around that point where he's talking about how pretty much he's about to say we need soldiers you know we need a team yeah so this first this first and bang on 20 minutes and one second that the word avengers is uttered they talk about the Avengers initiative. Uh, Bang on twenty that's, minutes that's and good. one second. Twenty minutes nice. and one second in. That's the the new less the <laughs> new podcast. <laughs> so the, the more pedantic. It, podcast. But it basically, I want to hear basically a summary from you guys what you think. But I'll, I'll just say for me, not only do, on retrospect does it feel quite TV this yes. first twenty minutes, um, but also it's pretty much all an exposition dump. 
as well, yeah, a lot, of, a lot of it about what's going on. In that context, it's not that bad. Like it does establish a lot of stuff, uh, but it didn't make for very satisfying viewing as a as a twenty minute f- flow of film. No, not at what, all. What, was, like, what do you guys think? Me, it, for me, it kind of it it, it it kind of falls between the. It, basically, if you go past the actual title card where it says Avengers Assemble, I like the second ten minutes. Like um, Scarlett Johansson. Mm-hmm when she's introduced and she's doing the funny things with the Russians and all that kind of, some life starts to come into it. You know, yeah. she's, there's a bit of humor. She's, um, she's genuinely very funny and, and we've got an idea of sort of the wider world, but that's first 10 minutes are just so stock action movie, MacGuffin kind of cliches. And it's, it almost feels like those 10 minutes are there so that everyone's got their seats yeah yeah i mean i don't know if you guys have both seen captain marvel yet but it feels like it's taken that many marvel films until nick fury was actually allowed to be a character because he's still really in the first 10 minutes of this film is just the guy in a yeah yeah, he's the guy in a in a cool jacket who says exposition and and we're just supposed to assume he's cool and can get shit done that's basically talks talks with authority so he obviously knows what he's talking about tom what was your what was your sort of feelings like we talked briefly before the pod and you were a bit more positive about the first 20 minutes than i was i i feel that way yeah just because um well what's interesting watching it now that we've gone through so this film is i guess six or seven years old Mm. but in marvel terms feels so much older like i was thinking Mm about that like i think am i right in thinking that endgame is the 22nd yeah, of the mcu yeah. so that's about equivalent to like the bond films over 40 years but condensed into about 10 so like mm. in franchise terms like this film feels like way 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 in the past and i found it quite difficult to separate um this film in and of itself like trying to do the job that it was supposed to do like first of all bring all these characters together in one film and balance all that out in a way that's like cohesive that none of them are stealing focus but they're all sort of like they have their moment essentially and also like make the idea of this film work which is essentially that it's make the uh, bring separate franchises effectively uh together into one thing so it was it's weird now that that they've made that they've got like a kind of formula for that to make that work and characters pop in and out and we understand it as part of the kind of grammar of a cinematic universe and that's well established now it was weird coming to this and seeing people like hawkeye and thinking oh yeah really he was just a very small cameo in thor before this that's the only thing we had um but what i felt like i definitely agree that i think it feels um very televisual in the sense that it is just doing a very i mean it's doing a very stock kind of setup for all these events it's doing kind of like a standard we need to get things moving quickly which i kind of think is okay like i think Mm. um like in hindsight i can't imagine like so i watched this and i also watched age of ultron i was going to talk about age of ultron as well age of ultron opens with all six of the avengers straight in there doing their thing doing avenging stuff and on the one hand that's fantastic and that's really great because that's like right we've got them and it's going to be this and they're all going to be together and we don't have to fuss with like bringing them together or any of that kind of stuff um but i also found it a bit i found it narratively a bit odd because 
I was going back through the other Marvel films and I couldn't find any setup for where they all decide to get together and go no. attack this kind of thing. So, but I, I mean, Rob I, might know the answer to this. I, 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 think liked that. That. I, I like that because they, they, they stumble across kind of the, 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 they stumble across part of the narrative in that, in that action sequence, don't they? They do the assault on the castle to get this to Loki's scepter back, I think. And then yeah, it's the supposed twins, to be, it's supposed the twins to be... are part of it and they become, you know, part of the wider story and everything else. Um, I quite like that. Like it was a, we're going to throw in with a, we're going to throw in with this big action piece and then our heroes are going to start to stumble over the seeds of the story, They're, which I, I thought was quite nice. Yeah, it is. And I, I think I think to answer what you're saying, Tom, I think it's supposed to be that they, the the missions they've been doing to clean up from the follow from the what's happened in previous films, basically. Mopping right. up all of Hydra after Captain America and all that stuff. Right, yeah. Um, and I, I kind of like that for the same reason, because there's a bit in, we're going kind of a little bit off topic here, but like there's a bit in uh, Captain America, the first Avenger, which got some criticism where there's like a montage where he just fights loads of little battles in the war. And it just, there's like a few minutes of him doing all these other adventures. And I liked that bit for the same reason I like this bit at the beginning of Age of Ultron, because it's the bit that allows you in your kind of fan fiction brain in your kind of comic book reader brain to go, Oh, all the other stories that they're not going around to telling pencil them in there. You know, yeah. like what that bit at the beginning of age of Ultron says to me is, Oh, by the way, between movies, the Avengers have been doing Avengers stuff. They're Avengers now and they do things, you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's same with that being cap. You can go, well, okay, we've seen what he did at the start of the war. We see how he goes at the end of the war. And that bit in the middle, fill that with as many world war two cap adventures as you like. They all happen. Yeah. It's, it's the sort of, it's the, the, um, it's the Kessel Run syndrome, isn't it? Yeah. Like, it's better not to know what the Kessel Run is. Yes, but it's right. nice if you want to buy into it. You've got something you can imagine what that was. And yeah, well, now world. we don't have to. You know, <laughs> at some point in the the mid nineties, early two thousands, someone looked at every franchise imaginable. Go, ah, oh, do you know what these could really do with an exhaustive backstory and explanation? <laughs> you know, so now we've got yeah. Prometheus and Han Solo. Anyway, sorry, my own little gripe. But the but, uh, so, so this first twenty minutes of the Avengers, anyway, right? Yeah. It, yeah. It sorry, just to yeah. there was so, sorry to interrupt. There was something I was um, just gonna catch on is that uh, another thing I noticed as well is I'm right in thinking. So Avengers in this film, at least, is Iron Man, Cap, Thor, um, Black Widow, Hawkeye, and who am I missing? Hulk. That's a uh, Hulk. Uh, so you get half of the Avengers introduced in this first 20 minutes so you're already halfway down um i mean setup is uh you know kind of a a necessary evil i think Mm. in this and i think whatever else might be true about marvel films in general for the most part and with this film in particular i think structurally they're always really really solid like they kind of um work to build structure really well and that gives them room to do things like the kind of humour that you get in this film, which, again, was kind of unprecedented and has now been that like that kind of Joss Whedon humour. He managed to slip into this big budget uh, action adventure blockbuster has now become part of blockbuster kind of, you know, every blockbuster has to have a tongue in cheek, very silly kind of moment, which I think probably reached its apex with something like Ragnarok where it was just that film is basically a comedy. You know, that's the Marvel yeah. comedy film. So, um, But yeah, so my point being that, that structurally, I do think, um, although I agree that it's quite televisual and it's quite, um, like, it feels a little bit like a, a, it, it sort of 
open it starts with a bit of a jog instead of a sprint i do feel that um it builds momentum quite well oh I yeah the structure is it quite, i think so uh, i do think it's quite solid i think mean, i was the only thing i could think of um you know, I mean, how else are you going to do it? You've got to set all this stuff up. You've got to, we still yeah. have, we still haven't met uh, Captain America or um, Iron Man in this particular story yet. Mm. Um, the only the only thing I can really think of would be to you know, anything I could think of would be my main gripe against the film as a whole is the kind of the threat of the Chitari. I never really understood who they were or where they came from. So the only other way I think to go about it would be a bit more along along the lines of um, uh, Black Panther. Although that's not a threat setting up, you get this um, you get this backstory, don't you? You get the um, the mythology of it all. But I don't know. The only other way I could think would be if if the threat was established in a much more solid way at the beginning. I think than... I think they're sort of as much as the um, Tesseract is a MacGuffin kind of plot point. Um, the Chitauri are MacGuffin, just disposable aliens. Mm. And I don't necessarily think the film will gain anything from front-loading some stuff about their kind of lore. <laughs> you know, I kind of, <laughs> I'm happy for them to just turn up and be the disposable aliens. I think what yeah. the first 20 minutes does well is... As you say, Tom, it does manage to set up sort of half of those characters. And what it does is it prioritizes yeah. all the characters who haven't had their own movies. So after yeah. 20 minutes, literally yeah. after 20 minutes, we get Steve Rogers. Then soon after he turns up, we get um, Iron Man. Iron Man's And um, yeah. I'm sure oh, Thor turns up when they're on the plane, doesn't he? Mm. He's, he's quite a bit later, a yeah. Bit later on. So he, sort of, but he gets get, the best entrance. Yeah, yeah, he does for sure. Yeah. But we get he usually does in most films. But we get uh we get those characters we've already supposedly met. You know, they're kind of assuming to some extent. This film does a good job of keep of, of catching people up who maybe didn't see any of the other movies, which mm. based on the box office of the movie, a lot of the audience I think hadn't seen the other movies and it, it doesn't mm. exclude any of those viewers, but it does it does kind of assume that it can get to Iron Man, Thor, Captain America later because a lot of the audience already knows who they are. And it spends that first 20 minutes with Hawkeye, with Black Widow. Uh, it was the first appearance, I think, of Maria Hill, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, yeah. You've got Nick Fury there. Um, you've got, you know, Dr. Selvig turns up, as you say. Coulson's there. So you get all of these characters who haven't had movies. Um, I, I just think that... Because it's got so many characters, this film, and the thing that was amazing when it came out, and it's maybe been forgotten now by people because you've now got things like Infinity War with, like, 50 characters in them, you know? But mm. what was amazing at the time is everyone thought, how can they balance, like, five or six characters? Um, yeah. Isn't it just going to be the Iron Man show with his sidekicks? And and Whedon does a very good job of making it an ensemble, making them all work together. But, w- but the way he does it, and I think this is exposed by this first 20 minutes, is by making them all broad archetypes. So we get senses of their characters rather than them actually having characters. And the example I'll give, for example, is that Hawkeye... Uh, he's like, yeah, I, I can see well. And then he says something <laughs> that's supposed to be smart. And then Loki walks up to him and goes, you've got heart, which is the worst Captain Planet power. That's apparently oh, that, his one. And then, he says that to both of them, doesn't he? Um, he uses that line twice. When he, does he? When he? Yeah, he uses the heart line twice. Oh, I didn't pick up on that. But he says, he says to Hawkeye, you've got heart. Then we get Black Widow and we basically get, she's sexy, but she's dangerous. Um, you know, and then we get Bruce Banner. We're like, he's a smart scientist, man, but he could be a bit scary if he becomes the Hulk. Uh, Kobe Smulders, Maria Hill is, like you say, exposition buddy for Nick Fury, who's basically the big exposition man. 
Um, same with Colson. So the thing is, is we do get very clearly established who what we're supposed to think of all these people. Yeah. But it comes at the cost of any depth to their characters at all. I kind of feel like, and this is a bit of a hot take, I feel like that's a wise move, though, because you kind of have to, in order to make, I feel like in order to make all these separate franchises work in one thing, you have to acknowledge that the audience has seen the other films and has an idea of who they are like beneath the surface. So they come at that with that context. And also you have to unmoor them from that a little bit. Like you have to separate those characters from their franchises so that you can build them as like one thing, you know, because it's not so much about the characters individually, but it's the focus is on the, their relationships with each other and how they bicker and argue and how their personalities clash like and that i think builds to a stronger film overall mm. um as opposed to like you know with because with an say like an iron man film it's like he has to sort of question why he builds weapons and living in the shadow of his father's legacy which is kind of similar to thor as well you know living in the shadow of his father's legacy and trying to be the like those are their individual arcs and in there they you can build character but here it has to be you kind of have to take all that away a little bit and just say this isn't about them and them and them it's about uh it's not about them as individuals it's about um how they interact with each other so i think on that basis the natasha the Black Widow, uh, Bruce Banner scene yeah. is really clever. It is a good yeah, scene. Yeah, to that point, it's I, not... I, I did make a note on that when I was watching it, thinking that these these two actors have got really good chemistry from the mm. off. Like, because yeah. to, to your point about introducing people outside of their own films as well, like this is this is the first uh, Ruffalo Hulk appearance. Ruffalo yeah. Hulk, isn't it? We, we, you know, yeah. If you and he's a mate. I mean, he's, he's un- indisputably fantastic as Bruce Banner. I think that's from yeah. the get go. People always realised actually he was the right choice from the beginning. Can I? Can well, I ask just... you two something though on this? Because you you both like horror films more than I do. Mm-hmm. It's fair to say. Do you right. feel that the potential for the scary Hulk? is paid off because i don't because they do a very no. good job setting up that he's terrifying and then when he turns up and he does scarlett hansen when he does become hulk later on and there's a big fight and he fights with thor and he's chasing black widow you do get the sense still there that he's that she's scared but do you agree with me maybe that with the setup they gave it they could have played that scene for horror rather than kind of action comedy later on i think i, th- I think um, it's a problem with one particular line delivery actually and it's the only problem i have with the scene it's the stop lying me Stop lying to me, bit you know, and he slams his fist down on the, on the. Um, hmm. He doesn't sell that line to me, and that, oh, yeah, it's a little bit jarring, yeah. And it just kind of, just for a moment, because everything else is done really, really well, but that just didn't land, I don't think, and it just kind of stops the scene just for a beat and picks it up again, but it doesn't. That does, that yeah, really, that bit does feel awkward, funny. yeah. Her it's funny you should sells, mention that. Her reaction um, sells, but his line doesn't. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah, no, sorry, I totally cut you off. Uh, it's funny you should mention that because the thing that occurred to me, because I've always felt like that in that in the context of that scene was a bit weird. But on watching it again, it felt very. It felt like something that would work really well in a comic book. Like, and I know Joss Whedon has yeah. written for obviously comic books, and it felt like something that on the page would be fantastic, but doesn't quite translate to like a film scene um so that's an interesting obviously like 
Joss Whedon is a big fan of comic books and has written for comic books, and he is the ideal choice to translate comic book into visual medium. But there are moments in um, this film where it feels like certain things that were, that he's obviously pulled from maybe the comics or a comic mentality that kind of just don't quite, uh, you know, don't quite sit within what else he's done, like, film-wise. But, um, but just to just, answer, so, yeah. just to, sorry, I would, just wanted to answer your question, Rob, about um, setting the whole whether up. they pay off That's on kind the of horror. Scary. I feel like objectively, yes, but not enough. Like, like you were saying, when he first turns into the Hulk on the helicarrier, he uh, there is a moment where he's like uh, Natasha is sort of in the 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 darkness. She's in the dark underbelly, and she can hear like roars, and she's clearly mm-hmm. terrified. Um, but and then he kind of jumps out and roars and it's like a jump scare moment so they kind of do a jump scare moment with the Hulk but given that it is a essentially family friendly uh, action adventure you can't go full kind of like horror franchise on it at least that feels a little bit too uh, experimental for this early in kind of the MCU so I feel like yes there is an attempt at kind of paying off the horror but it isn't genuinely scary. Like, it's just a kind of PG scare. I mean, you know? it's a bit like Spider-Man 2, the little Sam Raimi Evil Dead touches with the um, yeah. with the Doc Ock claws. Yeah. Which, where if, you, if you're attuned to it, you'll see it and go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But it's not, yeah, it doesn't particularly, the horror of it doesn't particularly land, land for me, but... But yeah, I would just like to say off topic that that scene in Spider-Man Two with the claws is the best thing about Spider-Man Two. It is great. That's just excellent. But the something I I thought was interesting about this is, as I say, a 2012 film. So it is ten years after 9/11, right? And Hmm. the interesting thing is, it's very much uh, because the response to 9/11 in cinema did take a while. Like we're almost we're, we're. kind of not out of that cycle yet in a way there's still a lot of films being made with a lot of those um elements in and the avengers 10 years later is is full of them not only in its climax of buildings falling down and that iconography that that we're very familiar with from the images of 9-11 but from the vox pops the, the, the news vox yeah, pops you, you have to have get, from ordinary new yorkers mm, yeah yeah you get that stuff later but there's a bit in the first 20 minutes where um and i when I heard this this time, I was just like, oh, wow. Uh, like, where Loki, Nick Fury basically says, hey, what are you doing? Why are you doing all this? And he basically says it's because he hates their freedoms. <laughs> you know, yeah. there's a line where he says, you know, I'm here to free you from freedom. You know, freedom's terrible, you know. And and that is always the line, obviously, about terrorists, right? There's not ever a deep analysis in what causes people to do this. Is there anything that, that we do that maybe is unhelpful and, and, and causes this cycle of violence or plays a part in it? It's normally boiled down to, at least in American news media, as they hate our freedoms. I mean, George W. Bush used to say that every other day on the news, that the fighting against people that hate our freedoms. And I thought it was very funny that they've got a villain here who literally hates freedom. That is his motivation. <laughs> Which I thought was interesting. And I think for an American audience, um, and I, I don't know how viscerally people would react on that basis, but it definitely sort of in wrestling terms sets him up as the heel immediately, right? It's kind of the equivalent in wrestling of somebody coming out and pretend and with, a, with an Osama Bin Laden gimmick, right? You've got the villain turn up at the start and he comes out and says, oh, by the way, I'm an alien in your country and I hate freedom and I just want to see America get controlled by me. What is the actual... 
the villain trade-off here. So as I understand it, uh, Loki is sort of colluding with, I think the character is called The Other, who's basically a servant of Thanos, which we find out in the post credit scene. Um, but he is... They want the obviously Thanos wants the Tesseract because he wants that Infinity Stone that's inside it. Um, but what does Loki get out I of think it? Like he gets to rule Earth, Earth, I think. Yeah, he, he gets, gets to rule Earth, but does he? But I don't. I don't know. He's never. He's never really um, shown any desire to to rule, to rule Earth anything. Before. So suddenly it's like actually I quite fancy that Earth. That's Earth's all right. right. Yeah, I'll take it. Well, yeah. he in fairness he did he did think that he should be the rightful ruler of of Asgard and then when yeah. he didn't get that I guess his next plan was to rule Midgard it does yeah. it does make a kind of sense mm. oh, yeah. okay. I mean in okay. the sense that he you know snubbed by one throne looking for another it's yeah. not particularly deep but it's you know it's and then at the oh, end okay, of the yeah. second Thor film no, he takes the that. throne yeah. doesn't he yeah um yeah he's just a kind of got a massive insecurity complex about um being not the ruler he so really he just does. he just wants to rule anything i'll rule anything <laughs> I like, he, he <laughs> Any really, kingdom. if you think about his arc though from there till in, infinity war he really just sort of uh lowers his ambition doesn't he as as, <laughs> as films go by like he, he kind of poses as his his dad for a little while but he's more interested in putting on plays and putting up statues <laughs> <laughs> well you got to work with what you got you know it's like and uh, he... being the actual ruler of asgard isn't going to happen and... earth's not going to happen <laughs> i might as well just pretend to be my dad and put on plays <laughs> like i'll take what i can get you know and then he just wants to sort of hang out with the with the um is it the grandmaster and just sort of well no, hang he's... around in, he's... in the, in, in the he's, executive uh... box watching the uh He's, watching the sports he's planning there though as well isn't he and he tries to betray thor and uh, in in that circumstance and follow his own agenda he's always played as a character who um is a kind of benevolent trick not benevolent that's not the, the word i mean malevolent sort of trickster who yeah. just wants to upend the order of things and cause chaos and you know a kind of some people just want to watch the world burn sort of character yeah i tell you what one of the nope. things i thought again yeah. sort of with the benefit of hindsight how Loki has his character has developed post uh, this film. It was very difficult to take him seriously as a true villain. Like you sort of see, uh, you see, you just end up looking at him and seeing where he ends up in Ragnarok, basically being a bit of a comedy foil. Like they do that whole thing in Ragnarok where. Uh, they pretend he's like ill and yes. Thor's like get help, get help. and then yeah, um, yeah and it was really it, with the with that in mind it was a bit of a leap for me to go back and say he's your sort of villain obviously like kind of Thanos and the other are kind of behind him but he is the central I, antagonist I get what you're he's saying still that, he's but... still got that Ken Branagh he's still got the Ken Branagh associations at the start of this as well as it's yeah. still very theatrical very Shakespearean to begin with yeah but I, I get what you're saying, but I, I, I buy it just because he's such a good actor in this role. And I think I forgot because of uh, being an, a diminished figure in later films where he was a kind of smaller part. I forgot yeah. how great Tom Hiddleston was as Loki. Yeah. Because yeah. he's as soon as he turns up, the film, like you said earlier, Craig, like the film kind of comes to life with Scarlett Johansson, Black Widow. Mm. I, I think there's a crackle of energy just with Tom Hiddleston. It, those scenes aren't particularly good that he's in, but mm. he's he's got a presence. He doesn't there's a, there's he's a not scene... really playing off anyone, is he? He's yeah. kind of... I mean, the best the best non-action scene in the film 
is probably for me the 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 scene where he faces off with Thor and they have that argument about you know being brothers and and all that stuff. Yeah, they both act the hell out of that scene. You know, they do. And yeah. yeah, well, there's yeah. I mean, if you think about like not far off from that, there's the bit where Thor and uh, Iron Man are having their fight and he's just sort of reclining on a rock overhead watching them isn't he yeah and yeah. He's, he's starting those sort of that kind of laid back trickster yeah trickster and, God is and starting i think to... i think as well like that's why it's he's not taking over the earth because he wants to rule the earth so much as because it's something chaotic and annoying to do you know what <laughs> i mean yeah. like like he's not really bothered about killing all these people or, or anything he's just he's just gonna push his luck and see <laughs> see how much yeah, chaos there is and a annoyance he can cause. To that i think uh, during the New York battle at the end, um, him and Thor are having a fight, and then Thor says something like, "Look what you're doing," you know, like the Chitauri are destroying everything. And there is that look in Loki's eyes, like, "Oh shit, I've just unleashed hell, and I'm not really sure of my reasons, but it's done now, so I have to kind of go along with it." Yeah. Um, so there is. <laughs> I, I do think he is like. Um, I, I think he's really fantastic in the role. Like I've always rated him as an actor, but. It's difficult. I found it just difficult with the later stuff in mind to get that sense of menace, at least in the first 20 minutes. I think he really comes into it when he's in Germany and he does that whole thing like kneel before me and he's making all those people like kneel. But it's Um, the same. It's the same in Buffy, isn't it? Like you can't watch you can't watch Buffy all the way through and then go back to the beginning and take Spike seriously as a major Bastard yeah. villain, because later he becomes comedy one of the gang guy. Well, I think yeah. that's a that's a recurring issue in Weeding loads of franchises, isn't it? Like um, mm. the the nerfing of like you think about where the Raptors have come from. In um, yeah, Jesus, that's the worst yeah. example. Like yeah, they yeah. they were absolutely. I think because you did you go and see uh, Jurassic Park with a live score last year as well? Oh uh, yeah, nice. I did. Yeah, yeah. great. Like you, how good that scene is in the kitchen. How terrifying oh, those things are. And now they kind of run around next to people on motorbikes and. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it's a wave, yeah, isn't it? Yeah, they created. I, a, I guess a another one. Which I don't necessarily share, but uh, a lot of the reservations about Last Jedi was the nerfing of Luke Skywalker from yeah, going being this great wise wizard to just being a kind of like you know comedy foil. Um, but it is this is the thing is you know you either either die a hero or live a, live long enough to <laughs> see yourself become. Uh, jumping the shark away. Well, you either, you either die a villain or live long enough to become one of the gang. Just to go back yeah. to the point about this being the early days and the 40 years in 10 years kind of thing, it's 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 even more than that. It's, it's exponential, isn't it? There's been like, we were, we were doing one every year or one every two years and mm. then it's three a year. So mm. what? Yeah. how many films into the MCU was this? Is this number five? This is it's only like six, six. There were yeah. two Iron Man films and then a Thor, a Hulk and a Captain America. So yeah, six. So it's number six, yeah. yeah. And now what? The next Avengers will be 24, 25? 22, I, I think. I don't, I don't know. I think it's. I think Endgame brings us up to twenty-two, but I might just double check that. Uh, <laughs> Want to get my facts straight? So this, um, but this, this, uh, this first twenty minutes, anyway. Twenty seconds. <laughs> right, yeah, the first twenty sorry. minutes of this film. Um, it, what did you guys think? Because I think when I say did I've you watch the rest reservations, of the film? not on this occasion, I didn't. I've seen it no. so many times though. Yeah. But on this occasion, when I watched the um, first twenty minutes. 
one of the problems I had with it was not just sort of how TV it was and how, ex- how much exposition there was, because I agree it's kind of doing a messy job and it's kind of getting a lot of shit done, but is the fact that the car chase is just poorly shot and boring, right? Yes. And and I don't understand why, if you're going to have this little bit of action, uh, and by the way, when you've got the battle at the end with New York and Thor fighting the Hulk, I don't know why a couple of people in suits riding their cars at each other is supposed to, you know, get our pulses racing. But I, I, I just think if you've got an opening set piece, uh, this probably was not the best one to do. You know what I mean? Um, there could have been something I... else that they could have done rather than just have some people drive cars at, at each other, particularly I, the bit well, where Hawkeye and Maria Hill was, crash their cars was... into each other and there's fire handguns missing each other at close range. It just seemed, <laughs> it seemed like a problem of, of not really knowing the characters at this point to me. Like There was you know people saying things in very important rush ways, but who are you and why do I care? And it just... It, it just felt like I. I didn't feel like there was any. I don't know. Just no real. There was. There wasn't any story, any character to hang the story off for me to begin with. And I remember this issue very much in the cinema, but it was only. It, I thought that the bit that I'd had a problem with lasted longer than it did. But it was when I first saw it. It was that that um, shield opening that I didn't enjoy. And then after that, it's, it it gets going, doesn't it? And mm. you're on your way. Um, I I kind of feel like. My take is there's two. I, I I'm kind of torn between feeling like on the one hand this is the Avengers movie and you want to get a sense that this is going to be like the Avengers. You know, this is going to be like a big deal movie and you want to you want to be you want to go into the film feeling that. On the other hand, I kind of feel like if you sort of feel that. Um, the cinematic universe is almost like a very as a really well finessed TV series that works in two hour plus chunks. chunks. Then um, this is kind of, you know, the episode where they're they're all going to come together. And it feels that that scene is kind of accepting that um, this is just part of an ongoing thing, as opposed to this is the thing where it's the, the Avengers, you know, this is the film where it's the Avengers. It, that, that scene, it feels like the obligatory action scene, which isn't going to blow its ace too soon. It's going to just sort of, um, it's going to hold its pace. You know, it's going to go, um, one step at a time to build to that moment. So I don't, I don't have any really strong feelings about that opening because, you know, once you get to New York, which is essentially the last third of the film, Mm-hmm. Um, that is really when the film becomes the Avengers film and um, you get those really satisfying Avengers moments where they're working together and stuff. Let me um, let me pitch so... you an alternative to the car chase that I think is way better. Yeah, okay, all right, right. that might sell right. me, yeah. That basically, the, the, the most ingenious thing about Hawkeye turning bad in the film, like being turned by Loki at the start of the film, is mm. the fact that you're going to get the inevitable jokes of, well, this guy's got a bow and arrow, you know, why Why do the Avengers need him? So by having him as an, an, an antagonist, you get to see mm. how he can be a bit of a thorn in their side, despite all their superpowers, so that when he's on their side, you're thinking, oh yeah, he's worthwhile, he was a bit annoying when he was against them. So instead of a scene where he rides a car at Maria Hill and fires a handgun at close range missing, why doesn't Loki turn Hawkeye, and then Loki gets away, while Hawkeye does loads of cool shit with his bow and arrow to stop all the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents from being able to chase and destroy the facility doesn't that set yeah, up that hawkeye would, 
Can I? Can well, when I, you say can like I that, append to that yeah, as well? it sounds like a great. That's like a much better. Can opening. I? Can I just add a little something to that as well? Yeah, because uh, you know the scene with where we're introduced to Black Widow is fun. It's got a little bit. Um, you know, you've got to be. It's a little bit suspect in some of the costume choices and action, but that aside, um, we're supposed to be sold. Her, uh, uh, we're supposed to be sold that she gets involved partly due to her relationship with Hawkeye. So why don't we see that relationship right from the off? Why is she not there? Because she's an established character that we kind of know already from Iron Man 2. Why is that not played up in that first part so that when Loki's turned, she's there, she witnesses, she tries to stop it, she can't. Yeah, and then we get an investment in that character from a relationship with another character. I think I think there's something in that. I think there's... Um, I mean, the way she's introduced is cool, uh, but I think that there were other ways you could have negotiated this first 20 minutes and made their certainly develop Hawkeye better and, and kind of uh, make the relationships between those characters uh, pop a bit more. But it's but the mm. thing is, I feel like I'm coming down on this film really hard when I love this film. Um, no, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but it's just this first 20 minutes for me is not sort of where it uh, where it's really strongest. I think one of the things is that, again, in the same way that Joss Whedon has um, decided to draw them all as kind of archetypes rather than as characters, which again makes sense because he's just very broadly, very quickly trying to set up who everybody is. He's also the master, I think, of writing dialogue that sounds cool, that means nothing. Nothing. And if you think about it for more than a second, you're going to go, oh, yeah, that was lame. You know, the famous one being the one from X-Men about what happens to a toad when it gets hit by lightning and all that. Was that crap. his? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was, it was it? Yeah, oh, yeah, he added God. that line. But, like, um, there's there's a, there's a couple in this first 20 minutes. And for me, the most egregious was the line just before the title card comes up where Nick Fury says something like, from, from as of right now, we are at war. And I'm like, what, with a guy? I will admit um, I will admit that I love the kind of corny action adventure yeah, yeah, dialogue yeah. and I think he, he does as well and he knows but there's one in Age of Ultron when um, they're all fighting on that floating rock Sokovia thing yeah. and um, that Captain America obviously is being very much like uh, none of these robots can leave uh, if you get injured Patch yourself up. If you get killed, walk it off. And, just lay it off, man. <laughs> and I love it. Like it's so. It's I don't know what it is. Yeah. It's just like I feel like there's a lot, a lot of this film, and I'm speaking beyond the 20 minutes. A lot of this is a really deep love and understanding of both the tropes and the pitfalls of action adventure films. Like the whole idea that you know the the really famous laugh that i remember the film getting is when hulk punches yeah, thor out of the yeah. frame and that is kind of just like an acknowledgement of the ridiculously overblown this character is insanely strong and is beating up all these things and there's this crazy action going on and it's just kind of like sort of a tongue in like a little wink to just the overpower of like superheroes you know how overpowered they are and they just like hit stuff and yeah. even if it's like an ally they just like will hit it as a kind of um, and then obviously he throws Loki around later and he cuts him off in the middle of his monologue and it's kind of making jokes about like villain monologues and um, yeah so I think it all the way through there is there is just lines and things like that which are, I think are deliberately there as sort of little nods and I think the balance is right I don't think I think in later films it gets a bit overbearing the kind of jokes and the kind of humour um, in a sense. But I think here it's 
uh it's just enough it's just right enough that you don't it doesn't feel too jarring that being said there are like some quite um ridiculous lines in the whole film <laughs> it's i think i think you make a good point about them I, th- I think they are enjoyable and i certainly like when i'm watching it i'm not thinking yeah. what are you talking about nick fury i think yeah fuck yeah get yeah. those avengers on the screen uh, <laughs> yeah. but it's but yeah but it is it is sort of funny in retrospect i think it's like, like weird, yeah. some weird choices sorry to cut you not off but just yeah. what you were saying um was he does make some odd choices like that line uh from now on we are at war and it's like yeah with what one person like you don't know in the about back the of Chikara, a tr- crouch in the back of a that. truck yeah like why is that different than when you're at war with like why is that either way you spin it it's a bit strange so there are idiosyncratic whedonisms i guess yeah that sort of pop up where he just kind of picks strange lines um but there are equal amount of kind of really strong um maybe not equal i don't know how i think there are i think there are strong strong lines of moments i don't think many of them are in the first 20 minutes i think the the interrogation scene's pretty well played Mm. and i think the Mm. uh the scene between widow and banner is is really well done quite well delivered by the two of them um but but i think some of the shield stuff is is kind of weak i think we often talk about on this podcast is you know how does it set up the characters we've covered that how how is it sort of made as in terms of the the actual production of the thing and everything and we sort of talked about how televisual it is and then we'll often talk about well how does it establish the themes of the film and i might maybe i'm being an idiot here and i'm missing something but what is this film about anything other than what it's literally about because normally with things like this it's like you know someone says oh yeah but what's that film about and and i normally don't care about the answer which is literally just what the plot is oh it's about a bunch of superheroes need to stop a guy opening a big portal above new york but there isn't anything else right well if it's i mean collect- <laughs> what is this film about uh, collectivism and you know combining forces and and bringing your powers together i guess if you wanted to sort of stretch a point mm. and and it does do that in as much as black widow goes to collect the hulk and then yeah. nick fury goes into the hologram room and says i need to get all my super friends together <laughs> so you know that is established um i just wanted to say sort of going just to echo a point you're making like it sounds very very down and i feel very churlish because i like unequivocally love this film i just I think if the name of your podcast was called, was uh, between ten and thirty minutes in, <laughs> the conversation would be much different. It would be, it would be, yeah, it would be. Um, I do, I um, do, uh, I do really enjoy this film, as I say, and just, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm pretty much a, a paid up fanboy uh, of of a lot of these things. Yeah, but it's, uh, I would say so as well. Yeah, um, but it's just a, to remark upon, yeah. Uh, sorry, Rob. I keep doing that. That's really bad. But I just wanted to touch on your question about the themes. Uh, I do think I agree with Craig. It's about. I mean, again, it is stretching it. It's about the theme is: um, can you put aside egos and personal kind of politics to just like work as one? Um, but maybe I'm, I, I, maybe I'm going a bit too um, film writing one hundred and one, uh, you know, sort of thing here, but. To me, the way the film climaxes, spoilers for a film from 2012, is uh, is with Tony Stark 
putting his life on the line to go he sacrifices himself potentially to go through the portal and puts his as you say puts his ego to one side uh to to go into space and and die away from earth to protect it from this invasion and save his friends normally in a film when your climax is something like that it kind of is bookended neatly with that being something that's established at the start of the film like the film would start with evidence of how tony stark is an egotist or he's not prepared to lay down and let the other guy walk you know what's the line in the film that's that sets this up there's a line in the film where uh steve rogers says sometimes you've got a oh, i don't know lie down you've on the lie, barbed lie wire up. so that someone else yeah can walk and he says and i just just cut, rather the wire. cut the wire right. yeah, exactly. maybe yeah. and so that maybe in the Maybe in the tight ninety-minute version, and who's the guy? Sid Field. He was the one who laid, laid out all the rules, wasn't he? Is that my? Am I getting that right? Am I getting my screen? Oh, right? Yeah, right. he's he's like a screenwriting guru. So maybe in maybe in the maybe in the in the sort of tight ninety-minute version, it starts with Tony trying to take on Loki on his own and messing it up for some reason getting his own ego you know i mean that that's another potential opening right you have you have um tony stark uh he's at the shield thing doing something with the MacGuffin. uh his hubris or whatever causes the thing to open loki comes through hey don't worry i can handle this guy he but he puts himself ahead of everybody else in some way i i just mean that it doesn't really bookend with with yeah. the end of the film particularly and and if we see the film as as establishing this theme and this arc with tony stark as when uh, he starts having that confrontation with Steve Rogers, that's got to be like halfway through the film or a third of the way into the mm. movie that starts getting set up. Which and and maybe this leads to a different point, which is that Tony Stark's ego um, was set up at the start of the film, but it was start up at the start of the film six films ago, right? Yeah. That this is mm. the payoff for what was established with Tony Stark in two thousand and eight, right? Like that's a potential yeah. argument, I suppose. Mm. Um, I my only feelings there is that it's just I I think it's not about any one of the Avengers specifically. So like obviously the Tony Stark thing makes sense because he's kind of the only Avenger that can physically do that thing. Like you set up the nukes coming in because they have to wipe out this threat. He's the only one who can do that. So whatever mm. else kind of um, thematically and character based comes with that is kind of just part and parcel of having this character be the only one who can like through his abilities like, well, do that thing well who else has who else really has much of an arc here like um steve rogers is just you know he's maybe a man out of time but that kind of is that that's kind of restricted to a few little references he doesn't get but he's a soldier and he's got to do a soldier's job and he goes and does a soldier's job yeah, thor's, I, I... Got, thor's got to get his brother's brother brother back contained like maybe um bruce banner starts to sort of reintegrate himself back into society a little bit but Steve Steve arguably has an arc in so far it's not really an arc it's a character moment that produces a kind of change which is when he realizes that he can't necessarily trust his own government which is something that pays into his next film right because he discovers they're hiding things from him and from the team uh, and then he goes oh actually you were building these weapons you wanted to use it to create weapons or whatever which Mm. is kind of then in Winter Soldier it becomes a whole thing about him versus S.H.I.E.L.D. him versus his own you know then you end up with him. Agency. Then you end up with him off the grid by the end of uh, Civil War. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, that I would just thought that I personally feel like out of the MCU, Captain America 
has not only the best individual franchise, mm, but definitely. like the strongest arc that weaves into yeah. um, the Avengers. So just to make a point, what you guys were saying about how he starts off as, um, you know, like a relatively... I mean, he's not as jingoistic and patriotic as I think some people imagine Just him to, to be. I think name, yeah. he is, you know, he, the the really smart thing about his character through the whole uh, MCU is that he becomes the, he's someone who loves America so much that he will kind of go against the government in order to, um, you know, make it work. And obviously that, that, is never stronger than in uh well actually winter soldier i suppose is the most is the yeah. peak of that but also civil war is about betraying you know a kind of mandate which will sort of police superheroes but, but um, none of this is so, none of this pays off or is contained really within well what the film we're talking say, about is it uh what i was going to say relative to the avengers is that um you can't deal you obviously can't deal with those themes relative to the character uh, on a kind of the way you would in an, in one of the individual films mm. but what uh there's a line that he says uh in it i think it's like uh when i woke up i was told that we th- that we'd won the war but i didn't yeah. i didn't hear what we'd lost which i think is a really smart line for just telling you a little bit about where this character is at at this point knowing what they know that it's all they're they're just going to bring these characters in and out from the films forward and they have to sort of play a role just giving them one or two lines and obviously the arc with him finding out about the weapons that they're making with the tesseract also contributes into later films again i feel like there is no uh, like that that it would be a mistake for the film to steal focus for any one character's yeah. particular development but as opposed you- to um just hinting through their abilities what um you know they contribute and all the rest of it so i was thinking about it, like captain america really does sort of not take a back seat but he's sort of in those avenger films he, he's not sidelined exactly but he's kind of quietly removed from from quite a lot was going observing and taking this stuff in and like you say it pays off in his other films mm. he's um yeah but he's always the quiet he's- moral center isn't he he's yeah the- yeah What's also really great is he is kind of celebrated as an American hero, but really he's quite shy and introverted and uh, in a lot of ways. But when he has to be the leader, he can really be the leader, which is why he ends up being the de facto leader of the Avengers. And there's that scene where he's just uh, Ordering giving everyone, everyone orders. That's my yeah. favourite bit of the film. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's so great. And that that's the po- kind of point they've come to where they're, they're able to work as a team and take orders off like one you know that someone that they accept is uh the best person to lead them you know it's not thor thinking well i'm the mightiest so i should be the leader i'm always the leader back on asgard i led my team it's like uh you know that i think is the overarching theme is that putting these things aside like knowing where you fit into like one larger thing you know one group of people which i think is like i think i personally feel like it's dealt with really well just as a kind of sub theme i think the film is mostly uh is not very subtextual i think it's mostly quite uh arc plot yeah um i do like that as a kind of under running type of i think i think something really interesting pertaining to our podcast really the, the the opening 20 minutes of films we've been looking at is that 
every other example of a film we've looked at, apart from where that film is incompetently made, a la Pixels, maybe even in Pixels' case, <laughs> the opening 20 minutes is dedicated to trying to establish the main characters, their goals and motivations, uh, and and kind of start starting the main characters' arcs, right? In every case, yeah. that's what's going on. You set up the, pl- the plot gets established, but also the main characters get established. Be- a, yeah. a symptom of this being the sixth movie in uh, this shared universe franchise is that this is maybe the only film in existence where the first 20 minutes is obsessed with setting up B characters. It's, ge- yeah. <laughs> it, it's, all ge- it's, it's like it's um, geographical work, isn't it? It's like, yeah. right, we've got to get everybody in the same place. Like, we've got to move him from here, him from here, her from here. We've just got to get people into a room, and then then they can be Avengers. Yeah, yeah. I feel like um, the problem with the first 20 minutes is literally that the rest of the film is really good at balancing all these characters. It's really good at balance, generally. I think it's Mm. structurally pretty airtight. problem with the first 20 minutes is it doesn't play an ace, you know? Like, Mm. it doesn't doesn't have just a small ace to play. Like you say, it's all B characters. It's low-rung set pieces. There's nothing to get you really fired up that this is the great crossover film of our time. It's just like the first 20 minutes is going to be set up but a little bit procedural set up you know mm. a little bit dull set up if like... you had to if you had to pick a memorable image when you before we sat down to watch this again what would what would what would you have picked out from that 20 minutes what would you have thought oh, that the was first 20 minutes um, yeah oh well now that you've said it it would be loki sitting in the jeep but i need to think of what it would be uh, to um, be honest i don't think any of the because the memorable images in this film are, as tom said it's it's uh hulk punching thor off, off off screen it's hulk punching the huge thing that comes towards him when he when he turns into the hulk the yeah. first time and it's the really famous shot as the camera goes round the group all standing yeah, in a the, circle the, the, yeah, yeah. those are the images um, if, if you had asked me for the first 20 minutes before rewatching it i wouldn't have been able to tell you a specific image and i think that's kind of what i mean about it being very tv yeah. the images are all very flat um that they're not framed in a particularly interesting way it looks if you were flicking through channels and you didn't know what this thing was you would think it was just a piece of abc american tv i swear (laughs) right and um it's and that's what's interesting there aren't any images i don't think from that opening that you would do that with there isn't an iconic shot or anything i mean do you guys disagree is there a bit there that you would sort of come into your mind if i if specific to craig's question of it does an image like just thinking about those first mm. 20 minutes there's a really great close up when loki first appears and he's looking down and then he does that kind of like half joker half terminator uh, yeah yeah kind of just like eye eyebrows over your eyes and an evil smirk and that's a great villain kind of image you know the villain is here and you recognize this guy that image kind of tells you a lot um other ones i really like the shot and uh, this is just playing into the sort of narrative. I really like the shot when uh, Bruce Banner does his fake freak out in front of Natasha to get a rise out of her. And then you cut to there's a whole squad of agents outside with all, like uh, I, whether or not that works narratively. I like that as an image, you know, that that suddenly this very interior scene between two characters sort of talking softly then opens up into this, you know, potential for like a big Hulk scene where there's going to, you know, obviously it never goes there. But I like that that uh, that is sort of cut into 
a scene that is tonally quite different than what it's i really i really um, like the shot uh in that scene actually tom where uh where you get the extreme close-up of of natasha holding the gun at the camera pointing the gun that's, that's another one that's yeah. really good because she sells the hell out of it uh scarlett johansson just looked brilliant in that scene like really terrified yeah. um the framing of it with her face and the gun it, it that's a really cool shot uh it's yeah. not one that would have come to mind before rewatching it but re-watching yeah. it, it was one of the few shots that stood out. There's another one, and this is very... Um, one of the things Joss Whedon does really well, and the best example of this is actually, I think, in Age of Ultron. There's that bit at the beginning of Age of Ultron where they all basically jump into a superhero pose, yeah. right? Yeah. And it's like he really understands the cinematic version of doing a comic book splash page, you know, a two-page spread yeah. of all the superheroes. They, they and, sold the hell out of that in the trailers as well. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's a really, really great shot. And there are a few more low-key examples in this um, beginning uh-huh. where he does uh, very much kind of comic book panel. The one that comes to mind is when uh, Coulson tells Widow that she has to go speak to the Hulk and then you get that shot of her holding her shoes and she says, like, oh shit, whatever in Russian. Um, yeah. And that is framed very much. I can imagine that as the last panel on a comic book page. It's kind of her yeah. standing in a doorway, kind of the silhouette of her and everything where she is. I think that's what I'm disappointed in with a lot of the rest of it, is he's got in his mind some really strong uh, very comic booky images that he knows almost better than you know almost any other director because he is Mm. as you say from that world as well Um, but then a lot of the other scenes when he doesn't have anything to string in mind are quite meat and potatoes Uh, there isn't quite that vision in terms of visual storytelling and and kind of a a style through the whole piece there are kind of isolated Mm. moments of it um, definitely. I feel like what I get the sense of just talking over it with you guys is he is someone who understands comic books really well and understands franchises through way of like having worked in TV and bringing, you know, characters in from previous installments. You know, there is I, I, there is a sense that the cinematic universe, like I was saying, is kind of just a trust up TV series in a way. But like having cinematic, uh, like purely cinematic moments, like visual images, which are really striking or um, like maybe I I don't think it's weak, but I feel like in comparison doesn't lend itself. Like the thing with uh, Bruce Banner and his fake kind of like um, banging his hands on the table, it works as a comic book, but he hasn't quite tooled it right for like cinema, you know, for a film. Um, I could be wrong on this, but that's my general sense. But the thing is, is I like, uh, for me, I really like that that's the case. Like, if you're building a cinematic universe to try and make, uh, you know, to try and steal focus with a lot of cinematic bombast, I think would be a mistake. So, I've got a couple of very laboured visual metaphors. If, 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 please, please go. Okay, so one of them is if you think of it as like a plate spinning axe. Yeah, this yeah. is this is the beginning of it, really, isn't it? So this is when they're sort of dangling the plates, sort of precariously on the side of the sticks and starting. <laughs> like it's not impressive for the for, for the first no. thirty seconds, yeah. well, until it gets going, and then more. Then it starts getting. Uh, it starts to become more of a spectacle. So that was visual yeah. metaphor number one. And visual yeah. metaphor number, <laughs> number two. two. It, it, it's it's the iPhone one. 
isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> you don't have you don't have the the 120 frames per second slow motion camera or the facial recognition or all that other <laughs> stuff yet. But it's still incredibly impressive and it's still very exciting to have this. Brand it's still new. unprecedented exactly. for its time. Yeah, so that's good. I like. I both like. Of those. I like both of those. I think they're a good place to uh, to wind down the pod. Unless you guys have any other final reflections on the first twenty minutes of the film. Uh, no, not that. I think it was really. Um, I I feel like it. Yeah, I've kind of said all I want to say about it. I think it is overall. It's a really well written film. Like he is undoubtedly a good writer, um, but I feel like. He's finding his feet director wise that I think isn't actually uh, I feel with the MCU overall. Um, I feel like Infinity War exceeds cinematically what this film oh, sort absolutely. of sets in stone for. Not to say it's necessarily a better film um, because there's things um, about I- I'm just very I like this Avengers film is very kind of dear to me in a lot of ways. And I feel like it really is just a great a really solid great action adventure film uh, infinity war obviously on its own merits is a little bit more complicated because you've got so many characters and so much story that's leading into it but visually cinematically i think the russo brothers have uh, a strong visual sense about bringing these characters into that particular story so yeah overall i feel like the the 20 minutes it doesn't play an ace it doesn't play a good enough hand straight away to make you to give you the sense that this is going to be the great uh blockbuster action adventure film that it ends up being and that is a bit of a fault um but yeah that's kind of what i've got to say about it i'd yeah i'd certainly rather watch the opening 20 minutes of infinity war yeah um which i don't know god knows how far they get in that in 20 minutes but um yeah i mean like i said before i don't want to sound down on this film this this was it was absolutely incredible um you could have told the sort of 12 year old me with the you know the old sort of battered marvel comics picked up from flea markets that one once upon a time i'd be able to see all these heroes on the big screen at a time when time when you know it was marvel comics were going under it it was a golden era and um mm. that film in particular represented something it's a bit strange now to think that it's as mainstream as things get <clears throat> yeah uh, yeah i think um, it's a very interesting subject for this podcast this this one because we've covered films that are bad and have a bad opening 20 minutes we've covered films that are good and have a very good opening 20 minutes and this is an interesting case in point because this is a film that i on the whole really enjoy and i have a lot of affection and nostalgia for and i think it arguably has a certainly a bad opening 10 minutes and and not a brilliant opening 20 and i think i just think it's interesting that it has that 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 um that sort of balance to it and it would be really interesting i think in the future if you can think of one to cover the inverse i'd like to look at a film that starts super strong 20 good minutes and then it just goes well off the way yeah i know i have as well can't come to mind but it's plenty must be plenty of films that just go off the boil or go take a complete detour further down the line yeah exactly yeah. and i think i think that'd be interesting as well to look at a film like that that maybe even has a bad critical rep but the first 20 minutes are very solid and, and focus on that I, I say just before we finish um craig van helsing you, oh van, <laughs> <laughs> sorry i've never seen it. van helsing have you seen it i've never seen no. van helsing 
It's got a really nice kind of... Um, the reason I say it is because I know that they're doing it on How Did This Get Made next, next week. But um, the, the opening sequence is this full-on uh, universal um, horror movie uh, homage in black and white with uh, burning windmills and villages. And I remember it being really good. I mean, it could just be that the rest of the film was so terrible that that first 20, 10 minutes, 20 minutes <laughs> seemed good. But I do remember that. But anyway, sorry. No, I remember it... really enjoying the first, uh, the opening of that film, Swordfish, with Hugh Jackman and John <laughs> Is it just a Hugh which... Jackman thing? <laughs> no, it's, uh, it, it must be. Yeah, maybe it is. Maybe it is. Um, but yeah, that was a long time ago. I've not I'm seen The Greatest Showman, but I'm now pretty certain it's got a fantastic <laughs> opening 20. It's really good. <laughs> <laughs> What, what what I was going to say, Craig, is that um, I, we asked you, because you are a fan of the pod, we asked you for a suggestion on what to cover. And we ended up going with Avengers in spite of your suggestion because Endgame's coming out soon and we kind of yeah. felt going a bit topical. But you did have a really interesting suggestion that we want to bring you back for. So what was the film that you've suggested we'll cover on a future edition? I think it'd be quite interesting to take a look at Memento. Yeah, mm. I agree 100 so- um, yeah. I don't know how how often the sort of the jumps in Memento happen, and I don't know if you get the um, the thread, you know, the black and white. Uh, what's his name? The story. Do you know what I mean? But certainly, watching the opening twenty minutes or the ending twenty minutes of a film at the same time, uh, there's definitely something to be mined from that. I think definitely. Mm. I think it's also interesting because um, I. As as he goes on, I'm getting more and more weary of Christopher Nolan to the point where now I am not. I wouldn't even call myself a fan. Whereas a few years ago, I was sort of on board the hype train after Dark Knight. Yeah. Um, so mm. going back to one of his films that's obviously heralded as a masterpiece and is is, is a very good film, it will be interesting. Maybe a bit of a palate cleanser on Christopher Nolan. Maybe it will get me. Uh, Get me excited again. Rediscover the well, love. I feel, um, having watched Memento fairly recently, it's a great example of uh, a director who needs limitations to do things well and <laughs> whose overabundance of kind of like money and control has not worked in their favour. Because it is, I think Memento may be slightly cleverer than it thinks it is with its narratives, but, you know, it's Nolan, so... More, that's part expect? of the course yeah. But, yeah that's kind of part of the deal. But it is, uh, I think, a really interesting film still. And a, it, I mean, it is genuinely smart in some places. Um, well, let's uh, let's cover that next then, shall we, gentlemen? Yeah, I uh, think so. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, Excellent. I'd love to. Come back. Excellent. Um, any chance of it? I can put in a little bit of a shameless plug. Please do. Please do, well. shameless yeah. plug. So if there's any horror film fans out there, um, my film that I produced and edited, uh, Fright Fest Beneath the Dark Heart of Cinema, is available in the UK on iTunes and Google Play and Amazon and Virgin On Demand, if that's your thing. Um, yeah, please um, look it up, rent it, buy it. Awesome. It's making some money. Um, <laughs> yeah, I heard Kermode is a big fan of the documentary. Like, no. He's seen it? <laughs> well, have you ever seen um, that fake trailer for um, Spider-Man by Wes Anderson with the really good Owen oh. Wilson? This is a deep pull. With the Owen Wilson impression. I haven't seen that. Where, haven't oh, oh, that's a shame. Um, there's a bit <laughs> where he goes, you're a great photographer, Peter. He's playing um, Harry, I think. He goes, you're a great um, photographer, Peter. And he goes, you've seen my work? And he goes, no, I've heard great things. And that's pretty much <laughs> what Mark Commode tweeted. Oh, okay. I'm hearing good things. Still, you know, 
I'm sure he'll watch it eventually. But. Yeah. Has Kim Newman yeah. seen it? Because he's obsessed with that whole that whole bag, isn't he? Yeah, Kim Newman was. I'm pretty sure Kim Newman was at the premiere. Nice. There you go. I, think I had so. to. Yeah. I, I unfollowed Kim Newman on Twitter because uh, he just tweets like lines from old cult movies and then the name <laughs> of the movie. That's pretty much what he does. <laughs> So that's like a game that you can't play because if if he if he left if he left the name of the film off, at least you'd be able to. Yeah. But yeah, look at look at Kim Newman's Twitter. It's 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 strange. Um. Anyway, well, thanks thanks for coming on, Craig. I will say Thank to you. um thanks, as I now always uh, say at the end, please do give us any feedback if you're listening to our podcast. Uh, subscribe to us on iTunes or Acast, wherever you're uh, wherever you're uh, listening. I know from other podcasts, rather than a deep understanding of analytics, that leaving a review really helps. Uh, I don't know anything <laughs> about that, but I'm sure they're right. So go ahead. Um. Also, uh, we do have a Twitter that I'm doing my best to uh, stay on top of every day now and, and use, which is at uh, 20 underscore minutes underscore in. Um, and yeah, please, please uh, join us there for a chat. Um, Tom and I, and well, all three of us actually, are all on Letterboxd as well. If you want to mm. see what we think of various films or, or chip in there. Uh, I'm there as Beams on Film, all one word. Tom, you are... Uh, Oh, I think I am just Tom C. Oliver or lowercase. Tom C. Oliver and I, Craig? I don't, I'm just checking. I'm either just Craig Ennis or I'm Scrag Ennis, but I'm not sure which. Okay. Uh, oh, for Letterbox. Sorry, I thought you meant Twitter. Uh, oh, for Twitter. No, yeah, no, it's it's the same for Letterbox. Well, Tom the C. thing Oliver, is, sorry. is if you go to Beams on Film and look at my followers, I don't have that many, so you can find the two of them quite easily. <laughs> my Twitter's definitely <laughs> at Scrag Ennis. Um, S C R A double G, uh, yeah. underscore Ennis. I don't know. I don't mean. (laughs) All right. Well, I'm not not the most social of animals. (laughs) Well, thank you very much for listening. Thanks again, Craig, for coming on, and Tom, as always, for joining me. Next time round, we will hopefully be taking a crack at Memento. Until then, um, be excellent to each other. I guess (laughs) that's the new ending. (laughs) Bye. (laughs) 